are so good. So good, Jesus. We believe, God, that at the sound of our praise, Lord, that mountains will move. The ground will shake and heaven comes to earth. Because you inhabit the praises of your people. And nothing is impossible for you, God. Nothing is impossible when you're here, Lord. So this morning, Lord, as we sing this, with everything, we'll shout out your glory. Man, we mean it. We mean it. We mean it, Lord. Have your way this morning. We cry out with all of our hearts. All that's within us, Lord, we bless your holy name this morning, Lord. Come on, just tell him right now. I want to bless you this morning, God. I want to pour out my heart. I want to pour out my praise to you, Jesus. And open our eyes to see the things that make your heart cry. To be the church that you. 
show up and show off in your life today.
let's just all close our eyes. And as we're in his presence, I want you just to imagine the king of kings, high and lifted up, glorified, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And just look into his eyes. Tell him how much you love him. And just ask him, what do you think about me? Let's just take a second to yield ourselves once again to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. I was doing this during worship a moment ago. I was laying on the ground and just saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to come and fill my body like, put, like you're putting on clothes. Come and fill me. I want to be used by you as if you were walking around in my body, in my flesh, like a pair of clothes. I yield myself to you. So Holy Spirit, come and fill all of us up. Come and fill us up. We want the King of Kings to be highly glorified. So come and fill us, that we could do that on the earth, that we would embody Jesus on the earth. We love people the way that he loved people. Holy Spirit, fill us up. We yield our physical bodies to you. Come and have your way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just all just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. You guys are so good. Thank you for coming and being with us. And I just ask that you come and fill the rest of our time. Father, let us know your heart. Let us see heaven's perspective in a fresh way and help us to celebrate you and all that you've done in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. Great job, worship team. Hey, when I'm done preaching, I want to do that last song one more time, okay? Awesome. Well, welcome. Good morning to everybody. Hope you guys are doing great. Um, my name is Grant Wortman, and uh, my wife and I, Rachel, lead the church. Super glad you guys are here. Um, <clears throat> if this is your first time here, in front of you, you're going to find a 
uh, Connect card, and it's a spot for you to give some information about who you are, where you came from, and you can drop that in the tithe buckets when they pass around in just a little while, and that can be your offering to us today. Um, also, if you have something going on that you want prayer for, we would love to pray for you. We have Sunday morning prayer, 945 every single week, and we are asking the Lord to come and move for several different things. And so if you have a need going on or something significant in your life, you want people to be praying for you, fill out that orange card in front of you, drop it in the tithe bucket, and we would love to pray for you as well. Sound good? All right, y'all ready? It's going to be a great, great morning. Um, today, we got a parent's lunch. So if you've got kids that are normally in the child care, um, we need you. Not just want, we need you to stay today and have lunch with us, okay? So that's going to be right after the service. We're going to have food here for you. So no excuses. It's free food. Stay with us. We need to have a, a little meeting. It's going to be a great time. Rachel's going to lead it. We're, we're working on the children's ministry, making it better and better and better, and we need your help, okay? So stay with us today. Um, and then we got a Passover feast coming up on what day? Passover. Yeah, I know. It's genius. So smart of us. So that's the Friday before Easter. Okay, that was Passover. It's called Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. And we're just going to celebrate by having a meal together. We're going to go through a bunch of the traditional steps of Passover. It's not going to be a serious thing. It's going to be a fun thing. But we're going to remember uh, several different pieces of how Jesus fulfilled the Passover. So come join us on that Good Friday night. What time is it? Six? Seven? Six thirty. Almost at it. <laughs> 6.30 that Friday night. And we need to know if you're going to come because we want to make sure we have enough uh, elements for everybody. Okay? So um, we'll have a sign-up sheet soon. We'll be emailing, using Facebook, all that kind of stuff. But mark it on your calendar. It's going to be great. All right. Let's stand up together. We're going to do our tithe declaration. We like to do this every week and believe God together for our finances. So we're going to say this out loud with gusto. Are we ready? Are we ready? As we receive today's offering, we're believing you for heaven opened, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, and miracles created, dreams and visions, angelic visitations, declarations, impartations, divine manifestations, anointings, giftings, and calls, positions and promotions, provisions and resources to go to the nations. Souls and more souls from every generation, saved and set free, carrying kingdom revelation. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessings, and increase upon me, so I may have more than enough to co-labor with heaven and see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah! Amen, amen. You can be seated. Um, before I jump into the message, uh, last week we announced a big, big announcement that we are thrilled about. We are moving locations. Um, 60 days is our hope of when we're going to be able to move into it. But it's going to be over at Western and 119th Street. If you guys know where Westmore High School is, if you know where the auto zone is over there, it's directly behind, it's not auto zone, O'Reilly's. Directly behind O'Reilly's, there's some brown warehouses back there. We're, that's going to be our new home, hopefully in 60 days. So um, we're raising money to get moved in over there, but we're really excited about it, and we feel like the Lord's leading us over there. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a part of this church and this is your home, I want you to be asking God how you can be a part. And we need to raise about $30,000, $35,000, something like that. And so next week, if you already have the resources, I want you this week to be asking God, how can I sew in? How can I be a part of this? And next week, let's 
give to the Lord joyfully. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week. But next week, get ready for it, okay? Sound good? Amen. All right, let's pass the uh, buckets. And we're, today we're doing three weeks of Easter. We're starting today. And um, Rachel's going to be preaching on Easter, which I'm thrilled about. And Easter is going to be so much fun. Every year we do a, a we just have a lot of fun on Easter. So it's going to be no different this year. But leading up to it, I want us to get into the right frame of mind for celebrating Jesus and all that he's done for us. Okay? And so this week and next week, we're talking about the Passover feast, which we're going to be talking about next week. And we're talking about the Day of Atonement today. We're going to be looking at why did God set these things up? Why did God require blood sacrifice? Why did he set up all these very specific steps through the Passover and the Day of Atonement? Why did he do all these things? And then how did Jesus fulfill those things whenever he died on the cross? And the whole purpose, I'm probably not going to share anything you've never heard before, but the whole purpose is so that our hearts open up in a fresh way in this season to honor and worship Jesus well over the next several weeks. Amen? So, that's what we're going for. So, um, one of the big questions that I have is, have you ever thought about why, why did it have to be a blood sacrifice? To honor God, to be right with God, why did it have to be a blood sacrifice? So let's jump into it a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Okay, get this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Okay? Amen. So I want us to pay special attention to that first line up there. For he chose us in him, say in him, before the creation of the world. Say before the creation of the world. So before the earth is formed... Before any of the universe is around, it's God, and he's thinking about you. And he's choosing you to become a part of his family. Before anything is created, before any humans, before any of the world, he's picked you. He's thought of you, and he said, I want them in my family. But he knows that we're going to fall and in, in, fall short of his glory. He's in heaven. It's perfect. It's amazing there. There cannot be sin mixed with heaven, right? It's like if I have a, a perfect Dr. Pepper in my hand, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. Sharon, would, she's not here, so she can't say anything. She thinks it tastes like prune juice. No. <laughs> I have a perfect Dr. Pepper. It's perfect in every way. If I spit in it, or if I take a little piece of dog dew and I drop it in there, is it perfect anymore? Would you drink it? If I, oh, it's just a little tiny bit of dog dew. Come on. Drink the Dr. Pepper. It's still good. It still tastes great, right? Would anybody drink it? Anybody, right? You cannot have perfection mixed with sin, okay? It just doesn't work. It, just like that, it changes the whole mixture of it. So God's dreaming about you even before he creates the, the world. And he's thinking, man, I want to be with them. I want them to be with me. I want to 
have them in my family. But he knows something's got to take place because to be with him means holiness and purity and there is no sin. So there's got to be a way to make us right to fit with him. Amen? So he chooses us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which I love that. It says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. This was his joy. This was not like, oh no, I made these people, I better do something so they don't all die. This was his joy, his pleasure to be with you. Amen? Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. Say, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his what? Good pleasure. Gosh. So good, right? So he's in heaven before the foundation of the world. He thinks about you. He chooses you. And then right after he has this thought, there's a conversation in heaven. So he's chosen you. He's got to make you holy and blameless. What's he do? He walks over to Jesus, his only son, the one he loves more than anything else. And he says, hey, I'm going to create these little mud, dirt thingies that breathe and live because of my breath and my spirit. But they're going to sin. But I want them in our family so I have a plan to do that. And that plan is to have you die on their behalf to pay for their sins, right? And so we find in Revelations 13:8, it says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So did you know that Jesus was slain before the earth was created? You're like, wait, 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 he's, no, no, he died like 2,000 years ago, right? No, he was slain before the foundation of the world. How in the world does that work? It's because his voice, when he says something, that is truth, that is right, that is unchanging forever. And so when Jesus agrees and says, yes, I will die on, on their behalf, I will shed my blood so that they can be made right before God, he said it, now it's only a matter of time, where in history does this event happen? But it happened before earth was created because he said, I will do that, okay? So Jesus is slain before the creation of the world because he loves you. And more importantly, he loves his father so much that he wanted his daddy's dream of having you and his family to come to fruition. Amen? So fast forward. Adam and Eve, they're created. And uh, you guys know the story, of course. And try not to laugh too hard at this picture. Especially Mary with baby Jesus, I think, in the top right corner. Um, anyway, so they sin, and it's, okay, before they sin, it's perfect, it's amazing, it's, it's paradise, it's the most incredible place ever dreamt of, and God comes, and he hangs out with them, and, and he's their daddy, and they're in his family, and everything's perfect, and he says, don't eat that fruit, they eat the fruit, they sin, but God made a law, I think, before the creation of the world, the consequence of sin is death, Right? We talk about universal laws a lot. Things that God set in place, and that's that, and not even God is going to change it. The consequence of sin is death. Okay? The consequence of sin is death. And he made that really clear to Adam and Eve. The consequence of sin is death. If you sin in this way, it will bring death upon you. And so they sin in that way, and death comes upon them. But immediately, God sets into motion his plan for redemption for all peoples. 
right? Immediately after they sin, God comes to them, and they've recognized their nakedness. They've recognized their shortcoming. They're trying to cover themselves with vegetables, and God says, no, 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 that's not how it works. Look, you can't cover over your sin with vegetables. A life has to be sacrificed in order to cover over your sins. And so the Bible says that God took an animal, and he killed the animal, and he covered over their nakedness with the skin of an animal. So now imagine, you are in Eden. It's beautiful. It's perfect. You've never seen death. You don't even know what death is. And all of a sudden, Lord God himself is killing an animal before your eyes. And God's teaching them in this moment, the consequence of sin is death. But have no fear. I will provide the sacrifice I will be the one to cover over your sins. And he takes the skin of the animal and he covers over them. From day one, right? He's training us to recognize him and his plans. Fast forward, you got Cain and Abel. Somebody's been teaching them that uh, you need to honor the Lord. And when you come to a right age, you need to give the Lord a sacrifice. You need to honor him. And because we have fallen and we are short of his glory, we need to sacrifice and have atonement. And I'm thinking God isn't the one who taught Cain specifically because Cain didn't get it. So I'm thinking probably Adam and Eve taught Cain about the sacrifice thing and Cain did not get it. So they go to sacrifice. Cain brings to God a vegetable sacrifice. He's a farmer. He's working hard. He's like, oh, this will honor God. And Abel, his brother, is the shepherd, and so he sacrifices his sheep. But he understood the consequence of sin is death. There cannot be atonement for your shortcoming unless there is blood shed. Okay? And the Lord tried to teach it to Cain, but he didn't get it. So we all know what happens. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was rejected. Cain gets frustrated. He gets really angry that his brother was accepted, and he wasn't before God. God goes and approaches him. We talked about this last week. And God said to him, a fence is lying at your door waiting to take you over. Don't let it. And Cain was a stubborn dude. He didn't listen to the Lord God, and we know the rest of the story. But again, God is pressing in the point. You cannot have atonement for sin without bloodshed, without death. Because he's training people to look for the Lamb of God that washes over the sins of the whole world. Fast forward, Abraham and Isaac. So God has spoken to Abraham all these beautiful promises. You are going to be the father of many nations. And your inheritance, your children after you, are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And he's 100 years old, and he finally has a kid. And he's like, man, I don't know how this is going to happen. <laughs> all, these, all these kids that are supposed to come like the stars, and I've got one, and I'm 100 years old. How in the world is this going to happen? And so finally, uh, the Lord speaks to him, and he says, you know that inheritance, your one child, Isaac, I want you to give him up. I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, what? This makes no sense because that is the promise that I've waited my whole life for. That's where the inheritance comes from. You want me to get rid of it now? You are crazy. But Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham believed God so much that he believed that when he sacrificed his son, God would raise him back up. 
That's how much he believed God. Even though it made no sense in his mind, he said, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to obey God because I believe that he is powerful to even raise my son back to life. And so they go up the mountain by themselves. He takes with them all the sacrificial items and the fire and everything. They get up to the top. He puts them on the altar. And right at the last moment, he's raised up the knife, and bam, the angel of the Lord stops him. And I love this picture, even though it's a little funny. But you can see the angel of the Lord wrapping around his arm, stopping the knife mid-force. He stops him. He says, wait. And the Lord says, well done. But I am the one that provides the sacrifice. And right there, all of a sudden, there's a ram stuck with its horns in a bush right there. And the Lord provides the sacrifice. Okay? Again, the Lord is teaching. He is the one who provides the sacrifice. Fast forward to Moses. And you have the ten plagues with the Egyptians. And God systematically goes through all the gods of the Egyptians, who at the time were the nation of nations, the most powerful and the most feared. They had the strongest gods in all the world. And systematically, one by one with the plagues, God goes and demolishes the power of the Egyptian gods and shows, no, I am the one true God. And then at the end is the last plague, and it's the plague of the firstborn son. And so God tells everybody, look, here's how to get around this. There has to be blood shed for your sin. There must be blood shed for your sin. Here's how to do it. Go get a pure lamb. Kill the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb and wipe it over the doorposts of your house. And anybody, Jew or not Jew, anybody inside that house, behind the blood of the lamb, when the angel of the Lord comes at midnight to kill the firstborn children so that blood is shed, anybody inside that house, the angel will see the blood of the lamb and it will pass over because the blood of the lamb has already made sacrifice, made atonement for that family. Amen? So again, God is training his people. He's teaching them. And then he goes on to tell Moses, every single year, we need to be ready and recognize when the lamb of God comes. So how do we do that? Two times a year. Once a year, we're going to celebrate the Passover. And the whole nation of Israel needs to remember the Passover. And then once a year, we're going to have the Day of Atonement. And the whole nation needs to gather together and recognize the Day of Atonement. That is the day that the Lord deals with the sin of Israel. Okay? So God's teaching them. He's training them. He's getting them ready for when his grand plan, Jesus, comes to the earth to make payment for all of our sin once and for all. Amen? So next week, we're going to be talking about the Passover. But today I want to talk about the Day of Atonement. And my big question is, why all this fuss about a blood sacrifice? Why didn't the vegetables work? Okay? Why blood sacrifice? Why was that so important to the Lord? And we find this in Leviticus 17.11. The Lord says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Isn't that good? So why all this fuss about the blood? Well, it's because the blood, the blood is life. And the farther that we go along with science, the more science proves this fact, that 
life is inside of your blood. Nothing is going to live without the blood flowing through it, taking nutrients, taking oxygen, getting rid of the waste and all of that. Life does not work without the blood. And so if the consequence of sin is death, then that means that blood has to be shed for something to die. Okay? And Leviticus 17.11 says it. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Amen? Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, so here's what I want to do the rest of our morning. I want to talk about this one piece. Next week we're talking about Passover. Today we're talking about Day of Atonement. Um, so the Day of Atonement was also called Yom Kippur. And this is the day, one day a year, that God dealt with man's sin, dealt with Israel's sin. And this was the day each year that God atoned for Israel's sins, okay? So I just want to walk through kind of what it was, what it looked like. This was the showdown, the big day for the high priest, okay? If you could say he was hired for one job, this was the one job that the high priest was supposed to do and fulfill through the whole year. If he screwed this up, he died. Um, Not only would they be mad at him, but he would actually die if he screwed this up. That's how important this was to the Lord. And again, every single year, they did Passover and Day of Atonement so that they would learn to recognize when the Son of Man, when the Lamb of God comes to pay for their sins. And unfortunately, that religious spirit blinded the Jews when Jesus came. But God was training his people, be ready, the Lamb of God is going to pay for your sins, okay? So on the Day of Atonement, um, everybody shows up at the temple. Inside the, the temple, this is a rendering of the Temple of Solomon. Inside the temple, there was an outer court where all the sacrifices were made. You see the fire over here? That was the big altar, and that's where they would put all of the burnt sacrifices right there on the altar. Um, And then they go inside the temple. There was an inner court, the holy place, which is right here, and then the holy of holies, okay? The holy of holies is where the presence of the Lord was said to stay. The Shekinah glory lived in the holy of holies. And the reason for that was, Because of man's sin, God could not be with his people. And so he was uh, inside the holy of holies, kind of locked away so that you didn't mix the sin in the holiness of God. The holy of holies was 15 feet, uh, I'm sorry, it was a 30-foot cube. So it was 15 feet higher than the rest of the temple, and it had a 15-foot attic that came down. And then it was a big cube. And inside the cube, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and then there were these seraphim that were positioned to the right and to the left, and it says that their wings touched each other and they spread the whole width of the whole room. So these two seraphim statues, 30 feet of wings, right? Huge, beautiful, beautiful golden uh, statues. And then the Ark of the Covenant was right there in the middle. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's staff, which had budded. Uh, whenever Moses was around, um, it had the gold pot of manna. So they, they kept a pot of manna from, from the desert times. And they also had the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant were two angels that were face, it was statues of angels facing each other, the wings covering their eyes. They had six wings each. And so flying with two, covering their feet with two, covering their eyes with two. Okay. So it was a gorgeous place and also an unbelievably terrifying place. They say that there was a curtain um, in Jesus' day. There was a curtain that covered the most holy place from the holy place. And scholars suggest that that curtain was 60 feet tall, possibly six inches thick, and that it probably took 
about two to 400 people to lift it and get it into place to separate the glory of God from mankind. And you know that when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shakes, and then what happens to that temple curtain? It rips from the top to the bottom. God himself rips it open, saying, finally, I can be with my people, right? So beautiful. So um, on the day of Yom Kippur, this is the high priest. This was his big special day. This is what he would normally look like on the left, super fancy. He had the golden ephod with all these 12 jewels representing the 12 nations of Israel. And on this day, he would strip down. He would get completely naked. He would go bathe himself ritually so that he would be clean before the Lord. And then he would put on extremely simple garments of just white linen so that it was a humble garment as he came before the Lord. When the, when the day came, if the high priest goes in at the wrong time, what happens? He dies. <laughs> he dies. If he goes in with the wrong clothes, what happens? He dies. <laughs> if he goes in with the wrong sacrifice, what happens? He dies. <laughs> this is big time. They were so scared of him dying that they would tie ropes on his ankle with bells so they could hear, is he still moving? Right? And because they were pretty sure at some point somebody's going to die in there. And then what do we do? How do we get them out? Like, they're the only one allowed in and only once a year and only at a certain time when God says, and if they die in there, how the heck are we going to get them out? We're going to drag them out, right? That's how serious this was to the nation of Israel. And so on the Day of Atonement, here's what happens the glory cloud comes down, okay? It's like that's the bell to signify everything happens. The glory of God comes from heaven and hovers over the most holy place. <laughs> Whoa. And then the whole nation comes and gathers at the temple. This is the day for God to deal with their sin as a nation. Okay? So they come to the temple. And there um, they bring to the high priest, the nation presents two lambs or two goats. Okay, and they bring those to him, and then the high priest also has a bull that he's going to sacrifice for himself. So he is ritually clean. He's put on the humble garments, and then the first step that he does is cast lots for the two goats in front of the whole people. He takes dice, and he casts them down, and one lot falls on a goat, and that goat's name is now Jehovah. And the other lot goes to the other one, which is Azazel, which means scapegoat, okay? So now they've labeled which goat is going to do which thing. Okay, next, he's going to take his bull, and it's a bull for him and his family. And he's going to go over to that big um, place where they burn the bulls, right? He's going to kill the bull. He's going to go into the holy place. I want to read it because I don't want to mess it up. The high priest takes his bull, he kills it, he sacrifices it as a sin offering for himself and his family. He then takes the blood of that bull along with his censer, and he fills the censer with burning coals from the golden altar. He then pours incense into the censer so that it smokes a whole lot. And that smoke, what it does is it creates a screen between him and the Lord whenever he enters into the holy place. So it begins to smoke. It creates a screen between him and God. 
And then he walks into the most holy place, waving his smoky censer around to create a smoke screen. The high priest then takes the blood of the bull. He dips his fingers into the blood of the bull and he flicks it onto the Ark of the Covenant seven times to atone for his family's sin and for his sins. And then he leaves the room. So it's extremely ceremonial. He walks in, like, please God, don't kill me. Please God, don't kill me. Smoke screen. He takes blood and he sprays it all over the Ark of the Covenant and then he backs out, right? Can you imagine? And with the glory of the Lord, the cloud of the Lord, all, oh, guys. <laughs> Whew. Okay, so now he's good for himself. So now he can do the part on behalf of Israel. And so he goes back outside. Okay, next, he goes back to the two goats that they've cast lots for. And the one called Jehovah, he takes that goat and he kills it. He takes the blood. He puts it in his little blood holder. He does the, the censer again. And he goes back into the holy place, this time with the blood of the lamb that represents the sins of the whole nation. And he sprays it on the Ark of the Covenant seven times again. He backs on out. He goes back outside. He grabs the second goat, Azazel, the scapegoat. And he ceremonially puts his hands on the head of the goat. He puts his head on the head of the goat. And they, he transfers the sins of all of Israel onto the goat. And then they take it. They have somebody take it out into the wilderness. And it's, it takes, it removes their sins from the nation as far as the east is from the west. And they let that, that goat go. Okay? That's so good. So, the role of the high priest was to represent the people to God and to make atonement for their sins so that God could be with his people. All right? Let's look at Leviticus 16.5. Leviticus 16.5 says that those two goats together constituted one sin offering, a single transaction having two distinct aspects. Okay? So they were not atoned for until the blood had been shed and the sins had been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's so good. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Last thing I want to show you guys is... Jesus, when he comes to the earth, he is the perfect sacrificial lamb. And we're going to talk about the Passover piece of this next week, which is really cool. But specifically regarding the Day of Atonement, Jesus fulfilled the roles once and for all as the high priest, as the sacrificial lamb, and as the scapegoat. He fulfills all three of those roles. So in Hebrews 4.14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So Jesus stepped into that role of high priest. And when he died on the cross, he enters into heaven as the high priest on behalf of all of God's children. And he makes an atonement for all of God's children. And then he sits on the right hand of God. Amen? Then, John 1.29 this is uh, John the Baptist. When he sees Jesus, he looks over and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who removes the sins from the nation, who takes away the sins of the world, is what he said. So Jesus became Jehovah, that Lamb 
on the day of atonement. And he dies, his blood pays for all of our sins. And then Psalms 103, 112, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so Jesus also, when he died on the cross, he took your sins on behalf of himself. He put them on himself, and he removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Amen? So good. So, again, the reason that we're talking through this is so that we're in the right mindset, so that we can rightly worship Jesus and thank him for all that he's done for us. So let's stand up and let's just worship him for a little bit. If you just lift your hands to Jesus. And let's just look at his face and just begin out loud on your own. Just thank him. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that you gave up your life to cover over our sins. We deserve death. Our sins deserve death. We deserve the consequence of death. And we thank you that you have atoned for our sins so that we can be in God's family, that we can be adopted into his family, that we can be in his presence without any barrier or separation from his holiness and our sin. Thank you that you cover over us, that you wash our sins white as snow. Thank you that you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. When the Father looks at us, he sees purity and perfection because of what you did, Jesus. And we thank you, and we honor you, and we worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing your life on our behalf so that we could be with God. God our Father.